Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in April of 2017, and as a family, we seek to joyfully live as reflections of God's love together in the city. This podcast will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service, as well as encouraging stories and conversations with members of our community. We hope you'll subscribe. Today's scripture is from Ephesians 4, 15 to 16, and verses 29 to 32. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Tess. And good morning again, and welcome to Redeemer Lincoln Square. If you are new or visiting with us today, we're really glad that you are here. Um, particularly, uh, if uh, the past few weeks, what we've been doing is we've been going through our, our vision and mission here at Redeemer Lincoln Square, and we're doing that because like everybody else in this town, We're replanting, we're restarting, we're recommitting to who we are and what we are and what we're about. And today we get to our second missional statement. You heard the elders talk about our statement that we said last week to be a church not just for ourselves but for others. Today we're going to go down deep, we're going to do a deep dive into the phrase, what does it mean to be a church? We want to be a church, we want to be known as a church where people are known, loved, and cared for. Why? The reason why is uh, the late director of the Center for Cognitive and Social Neuroscience at the University of Chicago, very famous uh, professor, his name's uh, John uh, uh, Kochipo, he wrote a book a while ago called Loneliness. And what they found in this book, uh, scientifically they found higher levels of stress hormone in the urine of lonely people. And so... Uh, In the book, it says this, when we drew blood from our older adults and analyzed it, we found that loneliness somehow penetrated the deepest recesses of the cell to alter the way genes were actually being expressed. In other words, the missional statement of being known, loved, and cared for is here because you literally need it. For survival, because your very life depends on it. And I think we all know this generally. We, we say we want this, but that doesn't mean it actually happens. And I think this is where our passage comes in. We're going to look at a passage from Ephesians 4. This is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. And these are individuals who are new Christians. These are people who don't quite understand the transformative power that is being offered to them. They don't quite understand how their the core of their identity should be 
And he, so he's trying to unlock this life-transforming, life-setting power that could be possible for them and for us. And so the passage breaks down nicely into three parts. What we're going to look at today is the principle, the practice, and the power to be known, loved, and cared for. We're going to look at the principle, the practice, and then the power to be known, loved, and cared for. So first, the principle. This is the first verse. Verse 15. This is what Paul says. He says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. In other words, what Paul's very, it goes straight to the point. He says, if you want to know what it looks like to be known, loved, and cared for, what you need to do is you need to be able to speak the truth in love. What is that? Five words? Speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. I did it. Five, five words. And I, I, that's in English. In Greek, actually, the word speak isn't there. It's, um, that's, I think that's our, uh, you know, English translation trying to help us under, you know, get at what he's trying to get at. But the literal translation is truthing in love. Living truth in love is what Paul is saying. So we have to be a, com- a community committed to 100% truth and 100% love. It's not 50-50. It's not mostly truth. It's not mostly love. That the only way that we are going to be able to be changed in this world, that the only way we're going to be able to have this community here is have both at the same time. Side point. Yes, you can weaponize this phrase. I, I've, I've grown up in the church. I've heard many people come up to other individuals and say, can I, can I speak the truth and love to you? Usually when they do that, whatever's about to happen next is not. Um, because why? You can take anything and misuse it, right? Uh, my mom used to say, she, used, she knew that principle when I used to pick up a Bible and just beat my brother over the head with it. And she goes, see, you can misuse anything. Well, you can misuse even this phrase because it, it doesn't mean that just because we say it, we're doing it well. So what's, he, what's really happening here? It's actually really powerful. When Paul says you have to speak the truth in love, it means truth without love is not actually true if the person can't hear it. And, um, I don't know if you heard the phrase, if a tree falls in the, in the, you know, in the forest and nobody hears it, did it really happen? That, for Paul, he, he would say no. <laughs> because... You know, if, if, if you can't put it in a way where others, other people hear it, it's not really true. And that is, when I've been reflecting on this, that confronts people like us who, who think, hey, I'm just going to tell it how it is. I'm just going to put it true, and it's up to you to figure out what to do with it. He would say that's not, that doesn't work. And this is happening, by the way, culturally. This is, whole cultures swing one way or the other. I think we're swinging as a culture, wherever you are on the political spectrum, where we say, hey, I'm just going to tell it how it is. This is, just, this is just the way it is, and, you know, um, I'm going to let you have to figure out how this is going to look for yourself. I don't, I, and, and Paul would say that the problem with that is there's no aspect of ourselves going, let me think about how to put it so they could hear it. Or let me find myself in their shoes and see how they're going to see it and, and make it so they can actually hear it. He says, that's not truth. That, that, that's truth without love. Take the other way around. Love without truth, you want to know what that is? Love without truth is sentimentality. It's like a, it's a sweetness that rots the teeth. It, it's, it's like the cotton candy of the heart where it feels good and it, it, um, you, you envelop yourself in it, but it's fake, it's fleeting, and it's false. Let me give you an example of this, if, if I can. 
everybody, I don't think I'm saying anything crazy here. Everybody in this room, I don't want to look at anybody in particular. Everybody in this room has flaws. I'm not looking at you. But we have flaws. What, what are these? I'll just give you a quick list. Maybe you're a feel, fearful person. And uh, you, you, you walk out of here in fear a lot. Maybe you're a proud person. You look down on other people. Maybe you're inflexible and you don't want to bend to what other people need. Maybe you're undisciplined and you go to bed too late. I mean, maybe you are oblivious to other people's needs because you're so busy focusing on your own issues. Maybe you're perfectionistic. Maybe you're so perfectionistic you don't even think you're perfectionist because then that, that would be a problem and I don't want to be perfectionistic. That, that could be you too. Maybe you're impatient or cowardly or, or you twist things so that you look good or maybe you get easily offended. I mean, I was just going to town on like lists of flaws. There's, that, that's not an exhaustive list. Everybody in this room has a combination of these flaws and yet the people who can see them tend to be the ones who are closest to us. And the question has, I've, all, I've been asking myself is, how many of us have relationships where the people close to us tell us these flaws? And when they do, what do we usually do with it? I think most of us, if we ever get those critiques, we explain them away. We have a reason for why, uh, you know, they're just misunderstanding me. They don't really see what's going on here. Or as uh, the book that I read on loneliness is pointing out, we no longer put ourselves into relationships where people could call us out on these things. And then compound that, the pandemic, the past 18 months, what we've seen is a thinning of all relationships across the board for all of us. And the thinner the relationship, the, the less chance that somebody will actually A, see our flaws, and B, talk to us about them. And the problem with that, of course, is you never change if you don't know what you don't know. But what Paul is saying in this text is, he goes, hey, community, if you want to know what it looks like to do this well, you have to see the flaw. And by the way, if you're close to somebody, you don't just see it. It's probably affecting you particularly as well because you're that close to them. And then Paul says, speak the truth in love. Somehow figure out a way where this gets brought up, but in such a way where they know that you have their best interest in mind. And um, side point, is it possible to do this? You do everything right. You, you realize you need to say something. You pray about it. You think about it. You put it in the gentlest, best way, and they still reject you? Yes, that happens. It's true. But I believe the greater risk is that we don't put the work into this at all. We don't figure out the best way to say something. I used to tell this to my college students. Can you figure out a way where they hear you, and they might be able to disagree with you and even reject what you're saying, but they know that you're saying it because you love them. Can you put it in that way? And, and it's, there's always that kind of like, I don't know if I can do that. But that, that means we haven't done the work to do the truth in love. Why, do, why does this matter? Because if we're going to be a church where you're known, loved, and cared for, you can only be known if somebody knows your flaws, but you can only be loved if somebody's committed to you despite those flaws. That's where the power, and then if, of course, you do those things together, then you feel cared for. So this is where this, this becomes transformative. Community, friends, no, I'm, no offense, community is not just people who know you. The IRS knows you. It's not, it's not community. Community is transformative when they have these things together. That's why we've been using it at, at Lincoln Square. We use the phrase um, family. 
because we want to show that kind of level of commitment, that, that level of inner relationship. Family in church means people, Christians who are older than you, are supposed to be our spiritual mothers and fathers. And people who are younger than us are supposed to be our spiritual children that we care for and love. And people who are the same age of us are our siblings that we do life together. But it would make them this, if we did that, this church would be a radically different place than any other place on the planet. Working, (laughs) why? Because nobody holds these things together. Everybody in this room also shades to be more truth-type people or shading to be more love-type people. And not just individually, I would say whole institutions do that. There are churches who love to be more truth, truthistic, uh, truth-telling. They, what they try to do is they, they, they critique and they condemn and they call out, but they don't know how to do it in a way where the other people hear it. Or there's churches that shade to more love. Oh, I just want to love. It's not our job to tell you how you ought to be. It's not my job to to say anything that might offend you. I'm just going to love you and hold you. And Paul says both these views lose the principle and therefore the power that potentially could be behind it. The too long didn't read version of this, truth without love is essentially selfish because Basically, you're not considering the listener who's hearing what you're talking about. You're thinking about yourself. And love without truth is sentimentality. It's, it's fluff and flake, uh, but it's, it's false. And Paul says the principle is to hold both together. Okay, that's the principle. Now, the practice. If that's the principle, what does this look like? Well, Paul doesn't leave us hanging. He, the rest of the passage is telling us what this might look like. Look at verse 29. He says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Okay, so that's the negative. That would be the opposite of this. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. I, do you guys hear the balance in there? Do only what, what would be helpful to build others up. Building people up, that's love. But according to their needs, their needs are their flaws. That's truth. And he says, do them together. And I was asking myself this week, I'm like, am, do, am I known, am I a building somebody up type person? Do I do that? Or am I a tearing people down type person? Do we spend time trying to get to know each other well enough where we can actually do this? I mean, here's a little self-assessment you can do for yourself. Do you, are, do you feel like, or do you know people well enough in this church that can speak truth into your life right now? through the flaws that you have, and vice versa. Do you have people who can, you know, not just that you can do that to them, but they can do it back to you? I would argue if, if you haven't, if you don't have that right now, we might not be living out this statement to be known, loved, and cared for. At LSQ, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service each week. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastor and church leaders. If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us for worship on Sunday. You can find out more details on our website by visiting lincolnsquare.redeemer.com slash worship. Now, let's get back to this week's episode. Side point. Um, this is why live streaming, those who are live streaming right now, I, I, we're going to keep this up. We need this. You need this. We're going to keep offering it. However, 
long term, it's going to be very hard for you to be able to do truth in love in community remotely. In fact, I don't know if it's possible because how can people see you and know your flaws and know your issues and then you be able to speak into their life and, and they speak into your life? We have to do this together. So ask yourself, are you in a community group? Are you in a men's group? Are you in a, in a, in a woman's group? Are you in a mom's group, a, a dad's group? Any group where this is possible. Sunday is great. Glad you're here. Again, if you do the inventory of what Paul's asking you to do, you can't just do this on a Sunday. I read an article um, last week. I mean, it was two, I guess two weeks ago. And it was talking about a subsection of America that uh, is an upwardly mobile subsection percentage of America that is college educated, tends to live in cities, tends to uh, basically their modus operandi is they want to crush it. I love that phrase. They, they, they just want to crush it. They, they want to win. They wanna, they're going to they're gonna make it happen. They're going to win at jobs, their body, uh, you know, their family, everything. They want to crush it. And what the article points out is these people who live in cities, hint, hint, are individuals that are so striving to be successful, so busy at working, that they've been, they were able to identify and, and show that the relationships of these individuals are ridiculously thin. Much thinner than people who live in the country, people who live, um, that are, that are blue-collar, people who, who, who have the time to do these things. And they don't have time for relationships. When I was a college minister, I had a friend who was another college minister at an, an Ivy League school, and he said it was like pulling teeth because his students would literally come to him and talk about the cost-benefit analysis of actually being part of the community. Like, is this a value add for me right now? I'm not sure. And he, he would have to sit there with them and say, what are you talking about? And they would say this. They would say, hey, the, the community that, that you're offering, that's great, but the vulnerability here is actually a liability. Because if people get to know me, then they might see things, and then I'll get known, and then, you know, I won't get ahead, and I'll spend too much time on this, and then I'm not going to see them again, so why am I actually going to do this? They saw vulnerability as a liability, and I'm like, oh my gosh. Vulnerability is the secret. Because what happens? In vulnerability, you're comfortable letting other people know who you really are. But in vulnerability, the love can surround us so that when these things are known, we're not rejected but accepted. But that's why you have to have these things. And, I, and I'm like, well, are we too busy winning in New York right now? Are we too busy making ourselves successful to do this well? I, it was very convicting. Ask yourself, when was the last time that you told the truth in love to somebody? When was the last time that they did the same thing back to you? where you might not even agree with, with what they're saying, but you know they love you so that you're striving to listen and hear more intently what that view is. When was the last time? A couple uh, months ago, you know, in the summer, it was nice. I sat with, with my wife, Sarah, and I asked her, I said, so what are some things, that, like some flaws that I, I'm not seeing right now that I need to do a better job at and work at? Like, that's the scariest question you could ask. And she told me. <clears throat> I'm working on it, honey. I'm working on it. But where, where have we done that? See, I did it with my wife a few, a, a few um, months ago. And it's a scary question, but are we doing that with each other? Caveat. What I'm not, hear, me, hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying put yourself in situations where people can hurt you, 
I'm not saying put yourself in a place where people can attack you and wrongfully slander you. I'm not saying you shouldn't have boundaries that are proper. Definitely do that. I'm saying culturally we tend to be more guarded, more busy, with too thin relationships after a pandemic of 18 months where everything's thin. So that's why people have said, I don't really have any friendships here. I'm going to leave the city. Oh, and then I asked people who came into the city, why are you here? Well, I didn't really have any friendships out there, so I came into the city. It's the same thing. Unless we practice this so our issues and flaws are known, we won't be loved. How do I know that? When people come to me and say, Mike, I don't really know you, but you seem like a really kind person. I'm like, I'm like you don't know me. You don't really know that. You can't say that. But those who I've had decades-old relationships with, deep relationships with ministry friendships, co-workers, my spouse, when they say, I see all your flaws and I still love you, that's where the transformation happens. Known, loved, and therefore cared for. So, first aspect of practice in verse 29 is build people up. But Paul doesn't stop there. He also says, don't, he goes in the negative now, don't grieve the Holy Spirit in verse 30. Now, I did some research on this. This phrase, is, this is the only place in the entire New Testament this phrase shows up. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. But Paul connects it to truth and love. And what he's getting at is that it's possible you can. Why? Because the Trinity is the third member, right? He's the third person, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So if he's a person, then you can grieve him. Well, what grieves him? Well, he's the Holy Spirit, so you know what grieves him? Unholiness. What does that look like? Well, Paul's going to help you there. He gives us the list. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. What does that look like? Verse 31. Bitterness grieves the Holy Spirit. What's bitterness? Aristotle says, an embittered heart is resentful and refuses to be reconciled. Interesting. Bitterness, then, if it's against reconciliation, it's against relationship, it's against them being known, loved, and cared for, truth and, um, truth and love together. It hinders it, and it grieves the spirit. Two, look, look what's next. It's uh, bitterness. Next it says rage and anger. Commentaries say rage is more of an internal thing. Rage, anger is more of an external thing, but both grieves the Holy Spirit. Brawling, um, the Greek word here is clamor. It's like getting loud. You're like, what's wrong with getting loud? Well, why do you often get loud? In, this, in the context of these words, look at the next word, slander. What's slander? Slander is, is half-truths spoken to get power. It's, tru- it's, it's being truthistic. It's, it's um, truisms, but are not fully true. And it creates slander. Next on here, it says malice. What's malice? Malice is ill will towards people. See, Paul is saying each one of these vices grieves the Holy Spirit and destroys the truth and love community possible. When was the last time we've, we walked through these, these phrases that grieves the Holy Spirit and we've asked ourselves in our churches, in our communities, am I the malcontent that Paul's talking about? Am I the one who sows seeds that tear down people through slander and bitterness and rage? Or am I seeking the peace and prosperity of the church? So for all things being equal, what I did is I took this list and I made a list and I tried to fill in where I've done these things with particular examples. And when I did, I was like, this hurts. I felt dirty. I've grieved the Holy Spirit. But you have to do that because unless you're aware of where you're doing something, you're not going to be able to do anything about it. I'll put it differently. 
When we approach each other, do we approach each other saying, in this moment, I'm going to be building this person up, or am I tearing this person down? Truth and love still means truth, but it's done with a purpose, Paul is saying. And we're, it means when we come at people, we're not supposed to come with like a knife to kill. It's a knife, but it's supposed to be a scalpel to heal. It's a cut to heal. And the practice of truth and love works always through building up, not tearing down. So the principle, the practice, lastly, the power. Where's the power? Paul tells us in verse 32, be kind, compassionate one another, forgiving each other. And you say, well, you know, you read these phrases and you kind of gloss over them, but I promise you, if you sat with them for just a second, they can make us weep. Because, again, the list, I love all these lists Paul gives us. When you first go through it, you can go, I can do this, be kind, check, got it. Compassionate, check, got it. Forgiving each other. Okay, where's the caveat? How, who? Um, <laughs> is it the, the ones who apologize first? No, nope. doesn't say that only. Is it the ones who don't hurt me that bad? Nope doesn't do that. No. He's saying unequivocally, forgive. And I don't know about you, if you let yourself sit in that for a second, you'll realize how difficult that is. Dan Hamilton uh, wrote a book uh, on forgiveness, and he talks about the time when he was engaged to a woman who, uh, right before the wedding, just left him at the altar. And he talks about how she changed her mind And it was not just deeply painful for that, but she went around and told everybody why she broke up with him for all the reasons that it happened. And and he said, despite it all, he tried to to forgive her. But here's what that meant, and he wrote down what it meant. It meant this. Every time he saw her, every time he heard about her, every time he thought about her and her actions— In those moments, he had to exert effort and make a conscious decision where he had an opportunity in his heart to nurture a grievance, to think, how dare she, or how could she, or people don't understand. If they just knew, I want to let them know. He could do that in his head, in his heart, or out in actions. Every time he had an opportunity to do that, he promised himself he wouldn't. And he said by doing that, by, by deciding not to, there was a mini little payment that happened in that moment. Payments that she never saw. Because that's what forgiveness is, right? A debt is created. But forgiveness is saying, I'm not going to get back the debt that you caused. I will pay that debt myself. And so he wrote this. He said, forgiveness then is not just sending away our emotions. It's not just forgetfulness. People confuse the two. He says, There is more involved. It is more than a matter of refusing to hate somebody. It's also a matter of choosing to demonstrate love and affirmation. In other words, by not bringing it up to her or to others or even to himself, it hurt. And there was a mini suffering that happened there because he was absorbing that debt. But true forgiveness does that. It grants it before it's felt and then it promises not to bring it up to yourself and others and it hurts. And I... um, but that's part of it. By the way, there's a sneaky way to get around this. What I do is, oh, no, 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 no. I, I'm a very forgiving person. I just need the other individual to acknowledge that they did something wrong. What's going on there? When I do that, I want them to see their error, and then they can be remorseful, and then they can be sad, and then I, you know, what's going on is I'm actually still extracting payment 
I'm kind of going around. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm not asking you to do anything to change. I'm just, you know, do you know that you did something wrong? That is still a way to get back. Because forgiveness, real forgiveness, is independent of the other person's action. Right? Where the debt is created and you pay it yourself. And you don't do what Paul says here that grieves the spirit. The bitterness isn't there and the slander isn't there and the anger and the rage. All the things that would necessitate somebody who hasn't actually forgiven is put down. Now, by the way, some of you will push back here and say, well, but don't people need to know that uh, they've done something wrong if you're going to fix that? I think what's happening in that moment, and we don't have time to go into this, is you're conflating reconciliation, restoration, and repentance and forgiveness. They're actually all really different, and they're actually needed uh, for different reasons. But forgiveness is the one that's independent for restoration and reconciliation. And this is where people get confused. They think forgiveness is diametrically opposed to justice. Well, if you've forgiven something, you're not going to seek justice. That's not what Paul is saying. Jesus clearly was able to forgive and still seek justice. That's not the point. In fact, I would actually argue Paul's saying sometimes unless you forgive, you won't seek justice properly. You'll seek vengeance. You'll seek revenge. But if you actually are able to let go of needing them to give back what they owe you, then you can actually seek truth and love in the right way. And so, um, I think if you leave it here, but, you, you know, I could say to you, okay, go forgive. Small problem is not so simple. Because I can guarantee you, if you do enough thinking, you could probably think of the people you haven't forgiven, that there is still a bitterness there. Or if you say, well, I can't think of anything, you probably just have too thin relationships that you never put yourself in those positions for that you would need to forgive them. Or... You've moved away from those, pers- those people, and maybe that's why you're here now, because you moved away from people who you were upset at, and now you're here. If you think this text is for somebody else, which um, I actually thought, I, I, when I first read this, I was like, you know, there's some people that really need to read this text. And then I realized, oh my gosh, if I'm saying that, it means I haven't forgiven them. I'm doing the very thing that Paul's saying not to do. If you think this text is for somebody else, you right now are contributing to the toxicity of our church. <clears throat> um, not, this is not too big, much of a spoiler. In season two of Ted Lasso, sorry, it's just in my head, Roy Kent, the uh, gruff ver- uh, veteran soccer player, he's always mad and he curses like a sailor. But there's this, you see this, this progression where he's always mad, but he starts getting frustrated. There's a pattern, he's just getting frustrated because the people he's mad at, he realizes at some level, he's the problem. He's just having a hard time with that because you can only be mad at somebody if you think somewhere in the heart of hearts, I never would have done it like that. You can only stay mad if you, at some level, you can only maintain that thought if you allow yourself to nurture that thought and phrase. But if we do, we'll never be this radical community that can strive to do truth in love. If you always say the problem's over there, the problem's over there. So what's the power? How do we fix that? Paul says, forgive one another, and here's the kicker, just as Christ God forgave you. That's the power. In that moment, Paul is saying, God will forgive you if you forgive others? No. God will forgive you because you forgive others? No. It says, forgive others just as Christ forgave you. In other words, reverse it. 
if you don't forgive others, it means it's possible that you don't really see how Christ has forgiven you first. It means only when we are forgiven and live as forgiven age individuals will we strive to forgive. To the degree, in fact, I'll go one step further. To the degree that we see that we're forgiven, will we forgive? So what does Jesus do on the cross? What's the phrase that, that, is, that we know he said on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yes, but then he also says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And by the way, I don't think he was just talking about the individuals in that immediate moment. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. I don't know if we really ultimately know what we've done. Maybe you do a little bit, 2%. But I would, I would venture to say maybe we probably are unaware of the 98% of the reasons for why Jesus needed to die for us. In fact, if, he actually, if we actually knew more, it might be overwhelming to us. It would destroy us. Instead, it says here that he canceled the debt. Forgive them, for they know not what they have done. If you let that be at the center of your heart, you would be able to say the same thing to other people. I forgive despite they not knowing what they have done. That's where the power is, to be able to do truth and love together and slamming these things together. Because forgiven people forgive. And if you're forgiven, you enter into deeper relationships with other people. In fact, um, sometimes when they have hurt you and wronged you and when you've forgiven them, you can get deeper because you've started to get into real life together. Truth and love slammed together. Last example I'll give you uh, to close. Um, Not from culture, Go to Matthew 18. Jesus gives us a, a great parable about the servant who owed 10,000 talents. A talent, by the way, in ancient Near East was the, the largest unit of uh, money. One talent was worth 20 years of, servant, of, of, of a daily wage. So it's 20 years of your work. So somebody who owed 10,000 talents was 20 times 10,000. That's 200,000 years of money. It's the equivalent of a gazillion dollars is how much he owed. And it says here that the king took pity and canceled his debt, and then he went to an, a fellow servant who owed him 100 denarii. And I looked this up. Uh, one denarii was one day's wage for the average person. So it was 100 days' wages, which is about three, just over three months of wages. It wasn't small, but it was small compared to what he was just forgiven. And what happened was is when... He does this, the servant's called wicked because the king had forgiven the incalculable debt. What right did he have not to cancel the debt of his fellow servant? In other words, you only forgive to the degree that you've been forgiven. Have you seen that? Have you seen Jesus on the cross who became you? The king in this story forgives this debt at great cost to him. In fact, a gazillion dollars means he's putting his kingdom at risk. Jesus on the cross didn't forgive you just at the risk of his kingdom. He forgave you at the cost of his kingdom and his life. And our ability to truth and love is going to be tied to our ability to forgive and reconcile. And that's going to be allowing us to, that will allow us to know, love, and care for each other. It'll be hard. It'll be costly. It'll be like Dan Hamilton where you have to take these mini payments. But these mini deaths, as we do them, we're 
we don't require ourselves to be seen or vindicated or heard is nothing compared to his death for you. And it's the power to drive us into each other's lives. It's the power to not shy away from truth or love. It's the power to hold these things together. And if we did this, friends, as we rebuild this community, it would be a power not just in your life, but a power in this world. Let's do it together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I confess that I feel like depending on the day, I'm either on the truth side of things and I want to just tell people how it is or I'm on the love side. I just don't want to, I don't want to deal with it. I, don't, I can't even. I just, don't, I just want to hug people and, and leave it be. And yet, you didn't just leave it be, Father. You, the cross proves that there, we, you had to die for us, but the cross proves also you were willing to die for us. You are the epitome of, of bringing together truth and love. Let that be at the core of us. We need wisdom. We're going to err. I pray that as we truth and love with each other, that we will apologize along as we go along. Maybe we're erring and saying something too much or too little. Father, I, we are a culture that either shies away, shy away from all conflict or we go in guns blazing without a care in the world of what the other, how the other person's receiving it. Father, that doesn't let us, we're not actually treating each other as images of God. Let us do that. To see each other, really see each other and say, what might this person need and how do we love them? If we in this room do not have these relationships, put a, a, a bee in our bonnet to move us into these spaces. I know it'll be messy. I know it'll be hard. It takes trust. It takes vulnerability. But Father, there's life and good and warmth, and it's a place where people can finally be seen and known and loved and cared for. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to our church podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already, and we invite you to check out our website to learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family. Just visit lincolnsquare.redeemer.com.